Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Zwans, and today is the 17th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Glory to God in the highest, and And on earth peace peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory, Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us, you take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer, you are seated at the right hand of the Father, Have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let us pray. O God, protector of those who hope in you, without whom nothing has firm foundation, nothing is holy. Bestow in abundance your mercy upon us, and grant that with you as our ruler and guide, we may use the good things that pass in such a way as to hold fast even now to those that ever endure. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the first book of Kings. The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and said, Ask what you would like me to give you. Solomon replied, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in succession to David my father. But I am a very young man, unskilled in leadership. Your servant finds himself in the midst of this people of yours that you have chosen, a people so many its number cannot be counted or reckoned. Give your servant a heart to understand how to discern between good and evil. For who could govern this people of yours that is so great? It pleased the Lord that Solomon should have asked for this. Since you have asked for this, the Lord said, and not asked for long life for yourself or riches or the lives of your enemies, but have asked for a discerning judgment for yourself. Here and now I I do what you ask. I give you a heart wise and shrewd as none before you has had and none will have after you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, I love your commands. Lord, I love your commands. My part I have resolved, O Lord, is to obey your word. The law from your mouth means more to me than silver and gold. 
Lord, I love your commands. Let your love be ready to console me by your promise to your servant. Let your love come and I shall live for your law is my delight. Lord, I love your commands. That is why I love your commands more than finest gold, why I rule my life by your precepts and hate false ways. Lord, I love your commands. Your will is wonderful indeed, therefore I obey it. The unfolding of your word gives light and teaches the simple. Lord, I love your commands. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. We know that by turning everything to their good, God cooperates with all those who love him, with all those he has called according to his purpose. They are the ones he chose specially long ago and intended to become true images of his son, so that his son might be the eldest of many brothers. He called those he intended for this, those he called he justified, and with those he justified, he shared his glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. Blessed are you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have revealed to little ones the mysteries of the kingdom. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the crowds, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone has found. He hides it again, goes off happy, sells everything he owns, and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he finds one of great value, he goes and sells everything he owns and buys it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea that brings in a haul of all kinds. When it is full... The fishermen haul it ashore, then, sitting down, they collect the good ones in a basket and throw away those that are of no use. This is how it will be at the end of time. The angels will appear and separate the wicked from the just to throw them into the burning furnace, where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. Have you understood all this? They said, yes. And he said to them, well then. Every scribe who becomes a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out from his storeroom things both old and new. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So we're kicking on with these parables that's coming from this um, particular section of Matthew's Gospel. And um, like we're, we're just getting peppered with parables. Remember, we started off with the parable of the sower in a, in a fairly long gospel a few weeks ago. Then uh, we had the parable of the darnel and the wheat. We had the parable of the mustard seed. We then had the parable about the yeast, which leavens the whole dough. And now we get three more. The um, bloke who finds a treasure in the field and sells everything to buy the field. Then um, the merchant who discovers the pearl of great price and sells everything he has to buy it. And then lastly, we hear about this dragnet that brings everything from the bottom of the lake and, and, and then it all gets sorted at the end when the net is brought to shore. Now, I suppose the first two parables there about the treasure in the field and the pearl of great price, they, they kind of operate under similar lines, although, although they're subtly different. 
See, both of these people have come across the bargain of the century. They're able to purchase something of far greater value with what they already possess. Like, I've got enough to buy the field. I've got enough to buy the pearl of great price. Um, And yet, what I buy is worth so much more than what I pay. But while a similar logic is operating behind both of these parables, um, there are subtle differences. You see, the first parable doesn't give the profession of the man who buys the treasure in the field, whereas the pearl bloke is described as a merchant. And I don't know, perhaps here we can draw a, a contrast between the two. Maybe one's poor and the other one's rich. Being a merchant is probably a man of means. But you see, the one who's not wealthy, he's got little to live on, and, and, and so the life that and so his life depends on the little that he has. And yet the treasure of and yet the treasure is of such great value that it's worth giving up the essentials, the little money that he has, in order to possess the land that has this treasure buried in it. Now, the second man who buys a pearl of great price, being a merchant, I mean, perhaps we can intuit that he's rich. And his wealth would cover well beyond the essentials to include comfort and status. And yet, having discovered the pearl, it's worth sacrificing every comfort and prestige in order to possess it. And so for the treasure and the pearl... It's worth giving up every luxury and comfort, and even worth giving up the essentials. But what's interesting about the parables, though, is that you're actually not giving up anything. You know, it it seems like, okay, I've got to sell my possessions, but it's not something that leaves me poorer. In fact, it leaves me so much better off. And so, you know, we might ask ourselves, a similar question. What would I be willing to pay for a winning lottery ticket? You know, a few weeks ago, uh, like $80 million went off in, in Powerball with, with one winner. Uh, okay, let's say someone wanted to sell you that ticket. How much would you pay for it? If you had a sure bet, what would you stake on it? Surely you'd go all in. Wouldn't it be silly to say that I wouldn't pay the sum total of everything I have for a lottery ticket that would ensure far more than what I already possess? Well, I think this is what Jesus is saying in his parables, that the kingdom of heaven, that's the lottery ticket. You see, the merchant immediately knows how much more precious the pearl of great price is compared to everything he possesses. The man finding in the treasure in the field knows that this discovery is worth more than everything he owns. And what's interesting is that they've both discovered something that no one has seen before. Because surely, if others had seen the treasure in the field or the pearl of great price, they would have sold everything in order to obtain the treasure too. And so the only logical reason why others had rejected the pearl or the treasure was because they hadn't seen it or appreciated it for its true value. 
This is the kingdom of heaven. The one who encounters Christ and who catches a glimpse of the preciousness of the kingdom of heaven discovers that it's worth everything and promises so much more than we could possibly earn for ourselves. No one who recognizes the true value of the kingdom would possibly turn it down. Now, this is the power of the parable of Jesus, and it it kind of sharpens our attention on our own appreciation of the kingdom of heaven. The trouble for us is that our encounter with Christ is something that it waxes and wanes. It goes up and it goes down a little bit. And our enthusiasm for heaven and our enthusiasm for the kingdom of heaven, you know, kind of grows and declines. But our choice for Christ, it's not just a, you know, once for all moment. It's something that lives and breathes in our daily choices. And, you know, very often my daily choices are not made with a view on the preciousness of the kingdom of heaven, of of my relationship with God. And, you know, very often I make my decisions without a view on the goal of possessing the pearl of great price. And so, you know, how easy we decide for shiny trinkets, you know, losing sight of the winning lottery ticket. So what's the key to conversion? That I never lose contact with Christ. You see, time and distance can make us devalue the treasure, forgetting that, you know, only a fool would prefer his own possessions to the pearl of great price. Personal prayer, right? It it becomes that regular and genuine encounter with Christ that allows me to see the kingdom of heaven for what it truly is. It's that winning lottery ticket. It helps me, you know, so to speak, keep the eyes on the prize. I think this is one of those things where we're not tempted to throw it all out at once. You know, the the dark one doesn't come with the idea in our heads that, oh, look, don't worry about the treasure buried in the field. Don't worry about the pearl of great price. It's one of those things that happens by degree because, you know, we know that these things are precious and we know by faith that these are realities that we want to possess. And yet, you know, slowly it kind of chips away. It's like, well, but maybe maybe you can deal with it a little bit later. Maybe it's not quite so urgent to sell all you possess to have the pearl of great price or the treasure in the field. After all, what's the rush? It's not like, you know, you're having to fight for a seat in church. I remember quite vividly uh, a homily that was preached by my my childhood parish priest. And the story went that uh, three apprentice devils were being tested on uh, how well they were able to tempt souls into hell. And, you know, the devil asked the first apprentice, well, how would you tempt a soul? And he said, well, I'd, I'd, I'd tell people that there's no God. And he said, fool! People know there's a God. And then the second devil was asked, well, well, how would you tempt a soul into hell? And he said, well, I, you know, I'd tell them that heaven's not really worth the effort. And, you know, the devil said, fool, everyone wants to be happy. And then the devil asked the third apprentice, well, how would you tempt a soul into hell? And he said, I'd just tell them that there's plenty of time. Top of the class. That's exactly how to do it. Well, these first two parables about the treasure in the field and the pearl of great price, they, they have a sense of urgency about them, don't they? That you can't miss your opportunity because it's the opportunity of a lifetime. And it is. It's the opportunity of our lifetime to take the little that we possess in order to purchase something that we could not possibly earn by ourselves. 
there's a single-mindedness, a kind of focus that's needed in order to cash in on this opportunity. To hold back anything doesn't make any sense. And I, I would suggest that our attitude toward personal prayer is a pretty good litmus test. What do we skip prayer in order to do? Because we might find that what we're willing to trade in for our relationship with God is in fact the pearl that we prize more than the one that God is offering us. So let's not get distracted. Let's take up this task of prayer, of that regular communion with God, and that's how we continue to prize and properly value the treasure in the field, the pearl of great price. And now let's together profess our faith by praying the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the, the Father, Father Almighty, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, 
salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas, we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father. Thank you.